Well, if uh, you're a guest to Seoul and you walked in and you're still trying to put it all together, one of the things that we do is we try to keep Sundays a, a little different. And this Sunday is obviously special. As if you haven't put it together, Red Pants Sunday. And the reason we do Red Pants Sunday is to celebrate uh, some of the missions that we do. And one of the missions that we have spent a lot of time, effort, and money fundraising for and pouring into is in Russia and the Ukraine. And uh, if you've been with us here for a while, you've experienced Alexander and Elena Prashaga, who are the lead pastors at uh, Moscow Central Assembly in Moscow, obviously, as well as the uh, General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Russia and the Assemblies of God of the Ukraine. And uh, they're good friends of ours. Uh, they've been here. We have raised money. We have uh, helped. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit more of where your money has gone to in that process. But uh, one of the things that has uh, been a very advantageous for me, especially going over and teaching and uh, speaking in numerous churches, is obviously the language barrier. And uh, they would always assign me different uh, interpreters. Well, then one day I get assigned this kid, this punk. And um, his name is Roman Prashaga. He's Alexander's uh, son. And... Uh, uh, I have to say that Roman and I just sort of hit it off. And Roman has uh, gone to school. You've gone to university here uh, down in Springfield. Uh, fluent in both, uh, uh, well, in Russian, uh, Ukrainian, and English. And uh, a studious person. He has subsequently graduated. He is now uh, the assistant pastor at Moscow uh, Assem General Assembly. Uh, Central Assembly, and uh, he has just been a lifesaver, uh, both with uh, learning to understand culture, what I can say, what I can't say, uh, words uh, that were coming up all the time going, you know, translation for us is one thing to hear it done in another term, and we would laugh, uh, uh, we'd cry, uh, but we were there. We traveled together, we roomed together, and it was just, it's just been a great experience and, and a heart of ministry together. And uh, Roman's a learner, and uh, that has been just really exciting. So been able to meet him, uh, his lovely wife, Lisa, uh, who is originated from Portland, uh, is here, and their little baby, Mark, is 10 months, correct? And Mark, I think, is in our nursery right now. But we uh, also have a special, another special guest, uh, Roman's sister, Christina, and her husband, uh, Sergey. And Christina is at Evangel University in Missouri right now studying, and Sergey is supporting his wife, faithfully. And would you at least three stand and turn around and acknowledge everybody that you're here? So you have Lisa, Christina, and Sergey. And uh, we have Roman, so come on on up. And uh, it is a pleasure to have you here, my friend. And uh, th that you could just be a part of uh, Experience Us on Soul, and we get to actually uh, experience you guys. And uh, welcome to Canada. Welcome to Winnipeg. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, it's nice to be in Winnipeg for the first time. We've been in Canada last time, 2010, during Winter Olympics. We didn't go to any games because you guys know how bad we're in hockey. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. You're not live streaming there, right? Yeah, that we are live streaming, actually. Okay, that's so. bad. Извините, пожалуйста, это неправда. Do you want me to interpret that? No. Okay. So, yeah, well, again, Roman and I would always be heckling back and forth on hockey, and I think the last time uh, when I was in the Ukraine, it was the, uh, it was the, the IIHF hockey was going on, and uh, I came with an IIHF jersey. 
to what you did not know about. And that morning, you spilled coffee all over your I shirt. I did. And I had a jersey for him to wear over that, which was a Canadian jersey. <laughs> and then later that day, we beat you. Canada beat Russia. Yeah. How did that make you feel? That was, uh, you know, I'm not a huge hockey fan. <laughs> but I acted like it was a big deal for me. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> what you're going to say. So anyway, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about what's been going on in Moscow. We have raised money. We've taken money yeah. over. You guys have built chairs. With yeah, them. we did. Every time I tell people we make our own chairs, people are like, sorry, what? <laughs> uh, but... Uh, yeah, so uh, since, we, since we started this project, we actually provided chairs for our church. Uh, we, we provided seating for the first floor, and of course, uh, part, part of the, our balcony is now seated, and just people are so happy because you will never find anything like this in any church, evangelical church, or any church in, in Russia, such comfortable and cool chairs. So, <laughs> so people are very excited and very happy uh, to feel comfortable at the church. Uh, because we really want people to feel, first of all, of course, safe, right? Uh, people want to feel safe. And, of course, comfortable listening to the word and just uh, being the community. So, What's yeah. the climate? What's the, the religious climate right now in Moscow? Yeah, so, so the last year, uh, so the bill was passed that you can't be openly evangelizing in the streets or can't have a live group at your home unless you have the special license to do so. So, for example, if you're a live group leader or any leader and you're going outside and you're, in, you know, you said during the announcements, nine easy words. If you want to invite people to the church and you have so without the license on the street and to a stranger or your friend, uh, that could be a huge, you know, legal problem for you. So, and you may expect a police officer knocking on your door and asking you questions. So that is a, that is a struggle. And of course, uh, if, if you're giving a Bible or any literature and it doesn't have a church stamp on it, uh, that will be illegal um, activity. So it's, yeah. So they're actually clamping down on. Yeah, they do. But, you know, uh, we, a lot of churches were very pessimistic about this. And of course, there's nothing to be excited for. But I think uh, every time there's uh, any challenge or persecution, it's a, it's a challenge for the church to get creative and uh, be, be creative in their approach, how they reach the people. So uh, although we're challenged and it's tough, uh, there's nothing to be upset about. Can you just share with everybody the amount of churches that are under uh, your care, both in, in uh, yeah. Russia and Ukraine? Yeah, I don't have the exact stats for that because I work mainly with one church in Moscow, but we have around 100 uh, something churches in, uh, in, in Russia and in Ukraine. Uh, mostly our church, uh, our vision has always been church planting. We've been really excited about uh, working in Ukraine, uh, planting new churches, new, new generation of people that were not uh, raised uh, in the traditional church. As, as a matter of fact, if you're gonna go to our church in Moscow, uh, we, we don't have any people who were saved prior to 1991 when the church was planted. So a lot people, uh, they're most, most of the members are first generation Christians. And so now what is really exciting is that 25 years later, now we're dealing with second generation Christians. And you know that it, it may be a struggle for them too to uh, you know, follow God and uh, be in the Christian families, but be in a Christian school where it's not very cool to be a Protestant Christian. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What are the issues that you're finding you're dealing with right now? I think the first one is, of course, uh, uh, religious freedom, uh, because you may know this, but there's a state church in Russia. It's Orthodox Church, and I don't have anything against the state church, but I think there is a problem when 
any church claims a monopoly, <laughs> if, we, if we can say that, monopoly in their religious activity. So it's very hard, especially with the zoning, getting the land to build a church or getting any place to, uh, to gather. Uh, so, so that would be the, the biggest problem, the land. Where, where would we do the church? If we would plant a church anywhere, where would that be? And that's the biggest challenge all over the country. Um, so that would be the first challenge. Second of all, it's, um, it's this perception about Christians. Um, not only about Christians, but especially about evangelical Christians, about pro- Protestants and, uh, if we can say Pentecostal, that's a, uh, a strange word in some sense, but, uh, because people don't say it much. But uh, still, be that kind of Christian. It has, a, um, it has a stereotype behind it. People really think our church is a sect or a cult, which we're not. Uh, Jerry, you were there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we made sure we, we invite guests to see, okay, we're not a sect, we're not a cult, but people think we are just because we're, we're not orthodox, we're different. And that's the biggest challenge when, when you say, okay, come to my church or, you know, come, to, come and gather with us. People will say, are you that sect? <laughs> and you're like, um, no, no, we're not. <laughs> so, and there's this long process we have to go through to prove to people there's nothing sectarian in this. There's nothing to be freaking out. It's just people gathering around this person of Jesus Christ and try to celebrate his, uh, his sacrifice for the people. So, that's, and so that entails a long process, building relationships, and uh, I think that would be one of the few challenges. One of the things that we've noticed in our, in our times being there is uh, the commitment of people to the church in terms of serving, and uh, it, it's almost over the top. Can you comment on that? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, our church, although we have seven, eight hundred people in, the, you know, members of the church attending the church, um, there's actually under ten people on staff. Uh, first of all, because of the financial struggles uh, within the community of Russian people, as you know, uh, post 2014 there were sanctions that doubled, uh, doubled, you know, the the. Inflation. Value, yeah, value of dollar, and of course, put the ruble down to whatever that is, like twice as as much. So, uh, so people started to really struggle financially, and uh, and I don't want to get into politics because you know church has to be politics free. But still, people really uh, became um, they started to struggle financially, and uh, salaries, everything, and of course, giving uh, went down just you know twice. Uh, so. So on staff we have, uh, I'm on staff and there are a few other people who do legal work and uh, so that, that means that we uh, have a very strong volunteer base in our church because uh, you know, we have youth leaders, we have people who are not getting paid for this but they're volunteering for that. So that's the biggest, uh, one, one of the things about our church, we don't do much staff uh, things, we do a lot of volunteerism. So. But what's the driving force behind the volunteer? Um, you know, um, People like to be included. People love to do something. And uh, Russians are, you know, of course we are known for being, you know, this cold Russian guy, you know, just, you know, being uh, all rude and tough. But once you melt that heart, they're going to be the nicest people to you. And if you have Ukrainian or Russian neighbors, you know that. They're, they're going to be the nicest people to you. Although they may look, you know, intimidating. They're not. And uh, when people build relationship, they really want to contribute. Uh, because uh, relationship is never one; it's, not, it's never directed in one way. There's always both ways, right? You can you want 
you're being served and someone serves to you, right? So I think that's really great. And uh, we really foster that mentality within the community that if you want to be included, if you want to be part of community, you have to do something. And it's not that we force them. It's something that uh, starts within them. But there's something that I think that we noticed was the level of commitment in terms of service. Like, I think we were blown away almost to the point of, like, we were uncomfortable with the way that we were being served. Yeah. Can you comment on that? I mean, it's just, it's just cultural thing. It's uh, our way of hospitality is we go to, to extreme levels. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a, a yeah. safe way to put that, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think since people are not very financially, um, because of the financial situation, people just want to do whatever they can. And uh, if they can co contribute with finances, they will contribute with their efforts, with their, you know, they'll give their homes, they'll give their, uh, any resources they have, they just want to help out, they just want to be that, those people who, uh, who can serve and minister. Yeah, and I think that that's, I think that that's part of it. I, just really shocked with the level, I say, of love. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and I'm, we, we, we've often said, Sharon and I, we've sat back and going, is this, you know, the reflection of their understanding God's love mm -hmm. and, and push it, not pushing it, but demonstrating it by serving yeah. other people. And, and, you know, as I said, most of, most of them are first generation Christians. So when they experience that love, which you'll never find anywhere in the, in the Russian community because after the Soviet Union, our society uh, was and still is, I believe, very close in, in, in the sense that we're not very, we're very skeptical as general. And uh, that skepticism uh, birthed this, uh, this skepticism towards people who are very kind and loving. So whenever you come, come up to a person, Russian person, and say, hey, what's up, how's it going? He'll be like, okay, what do you want? You want my money? You want, what's, what's the deal? You know, what's the trick? You want to trick me? Um, and that's very tough. But once they experience God's love, which is unconditional, you don't have to do anything. You just, you just receive it. And after they experience that, they, they say, we want to be part of this. And they just become loving and kind people. And, and they see the church, they see what's happening, and they want to contribute. So, What are some of the wins? that you can share with us that's been happening both in, in Russia and in Ukraine? The wins as... Like the uh, things that you guys celebrate as a church. Oh, as... Well, um, we always... Uh, we're a very family-oriented uh, church, uh, just as, as a movement. We, we always celebrate whenever they're kids or whenever, you know, even our church, we have this project that we're working on. We really want to build this big play playground for the kids in our community, uh, especially for the handicapped with the limited abilities. And we think that's so great that we can show the community the love of Christ. Uh, it's not like we want to get them into the church. Uh, it's not the end goal. We just want the community to feel the love of Christ through our, uh, through our works. And that's always been something that we put a lot of emphasis on, youth, uh, kids' ministry, because we think uh, you know, youth is not the future of the church, it's the present. And, uh, and it's something that we always uh, celebrate and always involved in. That's great. That's great. I've asked you to share. And I'm going to step off this stage. And uh, you're going to share just what God has placed on your heart. So we're on. Thank you. Thank you again, Soul, for uh, being so welcoming. First, I want to say thank you to uh, Jake and Kim for having us. I don't know where you guys are at, uh, but thank you for having us at home. Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. 
Uh, I want to say sorry for my son. He's only 10 months old, and he's being tormented by the evil spirits of teething. So, uh, so you know what it is, right? Who has a 10-month or a toddler, right? You know what, what I'm talking about. It's tough. And um, so, as, as Pastor Jerry said, here we have Lisa, my wife. She was born in Ukraine, actually. Uh, and when she was one or two, her family, and of course, she moved to uh, Portland, Oregon. So, and we met not in the States, but we met actually in Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is awesome. <laughs> so I got married because of Ukraine. And, uh, and as far as I know, Pastor Jerry, he's from Ukraine too. So uh, here you have uh, Sergey and Christina. Uh, Christina is finishing her last year at the college, university. And uh, Sergey, he's from, uh, and we're talking about stereotypes, he's from Siberia. Okay? So... If you're going to ask him anything about gulags, he doesn't know anything about it. But he's still a cool and awesome uh, guy. Uh, so just make sure you meet the, uh, them. They're cool. Uh, and and he, um, he, doesn't very sp- he doesn't speak English much, but he will understand you. So that's, that's some heads up. But they're awesome, so please meet them. So we were talking about this a few months ago in Moscow Assembly, about the, uh, the importance of understanding the conversation in... Uh, having this interaction with, with the person of Jesus Christ uh, on a personal level and, of course, uh, you know, in the, in the commu- on a community level. And when I was thinking about this, uh, one story uh, it just, you know, popped up in my head is the story about Jesus meeting the disciples after he uh, resurrected. So it, it, it was, uh, it's in uh, John chapter 21. So there's this, uh, there's this theme of this unfinished conversation, unfinished deal between the disciples and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ resurrected. He, of course, he died on the cross. He resurrected. And, um, and there's this unfinished atmosphere. What does Jesus think about disciples after they, some, of, some of them betrayed him, some of them left him? What is he thinking about them? And here they are in chapter 21. They're fishing. And it's, it's interesting because it, they're doing something they've been doing before they met Jesus. They're coming back to the, you know, the, first, to the base, to the first thing they've been doing. Here they're fishing. And you can only imagine what happened in their heads. Some of them may be disappointed. Of course, they knew that Jesus resurrected. But some of them never had a chance to actually talk and interact with him personally. And here they are. They see Jesus at the shore. It was in the morning. Some of the fishermen, they did it during the night because... During the morning, they would sell it at the market. They didn't have, didn't have uh, fridges during that time. So here, here they are in the morning meeting Jesus at the shore. And Peter sees him. And, you know, Peter is a very impulsive and a person who is very straightforward. When he thinks, he does it. So he doesn't have any time to think about this. So he immediately jumps into water and swims to the shore. He's impulsive. He's, he's the crazy guy. You always want to have that kind of guy on your team. You don't want to travel with him because he'll get you into trouble for sure, right? He's that crazy dude. Um, so here he is swimming to the shore, and he sees Jesus. And, um, and you can only imagine what he thought during that moment because he was the one who betrayed Christ for three times, right? Three times betraying Jesus Christ what does Jesus think of me? What's, what's on his mind? Peter wondered probably. And I can only imagine Peter's like, how, how am I going to start the conversation? Hey, Jesus. So remember that moment when it slashed, you know, that ear, the blood. You know, 
he should have, you know, he should have had helmet, right? So remember that moment? I was actually in the garden, you know, in, at the court, and they asked me about you. You know, that, that was such a mistake. And we, we can only imagine and speculate what Peter had in his mind. But suddenly Jesus interrupts his thoughts and asks him first. He asks him a question. And he asks him a very interesting question because if we were in the place of Jesus and we were sitting right in front of the person who betrayed us multiple times, that, 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 that wouldn't be the question we would ask him, right? The question, do you love me? My first question would be, why did you do that? Why did you betray me? What's your problem? We were traveling together for three and a half years. You saw the miracles, you saw everything. Is that the question Jesus is asking? He's asking one simple question. Do you love me? And Jesus is not asking this question, you know, just by an accident, with no purpose. The mission that Peter would have to carry on, it required love. It required special, required special love and a special connection with God. Big service and, 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 and big ministry requires big love. And Jesus asks this question, and it's, a, it's quite a quite interesting question, because how would you answer to this? How do you love me? Do you love me more than anything else in this world? Is there something else than ca that can, can be bigger than your love for me? And I'm so sure that the reason why a lot of people are afraid to come to church and are afraid to be in this context is because they're afraid that the first question that Jesus asks them is going to be, why'd you do that? Why did you sin? Why did you do that last week? They're afraid that Jesus is going to ask that kind of question. They're going to be afraid that the first thing they're going to hear from this pulpit or from this stage is going to be some kind of a judgment. But Jesus is not asking that question. And it's a, it's, you know, it's a simple question, but it's not. And Peter probably thought, man, you should have asked me about fishing or you know, political system in, in Roman Empire because we love to talk about politics, right? It's a, it's a very loaded question. A question that you cannot answer without having heart, right? Without having emotions. And these are the questions Jesus and, uh, and God ask us every day of, uh, in our lives. Do you love me more? Do you love your job? Do you love me more than you love your dreams? Do you love me more than your family, your city, your community? To this day, God is still asking us these questions through the scriptures. And if you're going to simplify them, if you're going to exclude them, you're going you're gonna to exclude this, this deep, deep thinking within the church. He didn't ask Peter why he betrayed him and why he sinned. He just asked him a question, why do you love me? Because he wants to be the object of love, Peter's love. And he wants to be the object of our love. And if we're going to let the word of God work within us, we have to be ready to be asked tough questions. And people who come here, they shouldn't be afraid of being asked tough questions, right? You, you guys are talking about life lessons. You shouldn't be afraid of that. And then Peter says, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. And it's funny because remember in, the, you know, in, in other chapters, Peter is, is always this guy, God, Jesus, I promise you, 
They're all going to betray. I'm going to be the one who will never betray you. He's that impulsive guy. But here in, 20, in chapter 21, surprisingly, he's the guy who just says, yes, Lord, you know it. He doesn't say all this, you know, these promises and just being impulsive. Something changed in Peter after he experienced his imperfection. Maybe you gave a lot of promises that you didn't, didn't do or didn't complete. Maybe you promised God that you're going to do something, but you didn't. The story of Peter teaches us that we cannot prove anything to God. We can't prove our perfection. We cannot prove that we're going to do something to God because it's impossible. We can't earn God's love. We can't do anything to please Him with our own actions. So Peter says, yes, Lord, you know it. So what, so what happens next is very important in the, in the context of the conversation we had about volunteers. Because the next thing that Jesus tells Peter, tend my sheep. Because when we talk about loving God, there's always going to be third party. People. There's going to be people around us. So whenever we talk about God's love, loving God, there's always going to be people. And when you love God, of course you're going to be directed towards ministry to others. That's very important. If you're going to love God, if you're going to devote your heart to Him in your life, be ready, because God will forward you to other people, where you can minister, where, when you, where you can serve, where you can contribute. And then Jesus continues on, and he asks this question two times more. And uh, some theologians think that it's, it's, not, it's not accidental, because uh, sometimes in the uh, Middle East, if you repeat things three times, that would be like a legal act. That would, that would have a legal power. Some, some other theologians say that the reason why Jesus asked him three questions or three times the same question is because of the uh, be betrayal. He betrayed God three times, so Jesus is asking him um, this question three times. I mean, I don't want to take any, any stance, but let me tell you that for every mistake that you made in your life, there is a question. For everything that went wrong, Jesus asks one question. Do you love me? Do you really love him? Are you ready to sacrifice something for your devotion to him? Or there's something else that keeps you from that? But that's really great to see that Jesus never excludes Peter from his plan. Even after making mistakes, being imperfect, Jesus hands him a legal act to be the one who will lead his mission forward. And what can Peter do? He just says yes. That's all he says. He, never, he doesn't promise anything. He doesn't say any impulsive stuff he, he said before. He just says yes Lord you know it. And in this story we see a completely different Peter. Stubborn Peter. That would promise things he would never do is a Peter that says yes and he accepts his own limitations and imperfection and he is ready for the ministry God initiated the dialogue with him so they, so he can carry that love to other people and then Jesus says something about the nature of his death he he and if we're going to read uh, John uh, chapter 21 this is what we read in uh, 
in the, in the verse 20, uh, in the verse 18, sorry. Here's what he says. Um, sorry about that. I didn't know I'm going to preach today. That's, by the way. And, uh, it's a, it, and um, what's interesting is that I'm used to translate. So it's, uh, it's really great not to be translating Pastor Jerry anymore uh, at this moment. So truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch, your, uh, stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. So there's something about the nature uh, of death of Peter. Because when we look at the history, we know that Peter died on the cross. But here's what's interesting is that if you're going to love God, and if you're going to love people, you're going to pay the price. And it's funny to me because, uh, see, we live in the Eastern world, and uh, we in Eastern Europe, and we have a completely different understanding of Christianity. But uh, whenever there's something in North America, you know, some, some mainline theology or prosperity theology, for sure, there's going to be it's going to be echoing in somewhere else. So, uh, a number of years ago, we had same problems with the churches thinking, okay, if you're a Christian, you'll never have a problem. You'll never have anything to worry about. You're going to be stable, and nothing will ever threaten you. But we have to understand that it's foolish to to deny the sufferings when our own symbol of Christianity is the cross, is the place of sacrifice. So whenever you love God and you love people, you will be led to the place where you will sacrifice everything. And this is going to be a different Peter. It's not going to be a Peter that did whatever he wanted. That's going to be a Peter who's going to be fulfilling God's mission. So what happens next is even funnier. So verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? No. You know, do you know in movies when the story goes wrong? It's like everything is awesome, everything is great, it's going to be a happy end, and then something happens and you're like, oh no, you didn't. So that, this, is, this is the twist in the story. Everything is great, Jesus hands out mission to Peter, Peter is humble, Peter says yes, and then something happens and we're like, why did you do that? He turns, to, he turns to another disciple and says, Jesus, what's up with that guy? What's up with that guy? And here's what Jesus says. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it was my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? In other words, Jesus said, Peter, it's not your problem. Why would you care? It's not your business. He's the other disciple. And it's a big mistake when we follow God, we love God, we love people, we start to compare each other. When we start to compare our success, when we start to compare our spiritual experience, but we have to understand everyone has a special calling. And everyone has it's his own experience, of course, aligned to the scriptures, right? And it's foolish to compare ourselves with others so we have to mind our own business you know we have this saying in Russia we were talking a lot about sayings Russian sayings and, uh, and North American sayings but um, you need to mind your own business and uh, in, this, in this scripture verse in this, in this passage we see Peter who's just you know he's just interested in things he should have not be interested in 
But he has to understand. He needs to fulfill his own calling. Peter is going to be a pastor. John is going to be a prophet. Peter is going to preach. John is going to be writing. Peter is going to uh, be a martyr. And John is going to live to a um, to very old age. But we have to understand a few things. You have to look on Christ. If we're going to follow God. If we're going to love God and love people. The only person that should be our focus is Jesus Christ. So three lessons that I take from this story. First of all, Christian life is coming to basics. And what I mean by this is the question, do you love me? That's the basic question we can ask ourselves. And of course, when we, when we go to church for many years, we get all sophisticated and we may go into philosophy and other things and forget this basic and simple question, do you love me? He asks this question he, he, he questioned Peter, and now he gives the same question to us, asking, do you love me? In other words, do you remember that first day? Do you remember when you came to church? Do you remember when you were baptized? That love, that zeal you had for me, the basics, the, the very beginning. And notice this, that he is the one that initiates the dialogue. That's just something that encourages me. Because I don't have to start this dialogue with God. If I have unfinished conversation with God, I'm not the one to initiate. Because God already initiated it by sending his own son for us. And I think that's, that's so great. It's liberating to understand that Jesus has initiated the conversation with me. Now my reaction should be a response to it. I'm not initiating anything. Second lesson, first is that Christian life is going back to basics. Second is that Christian life is a responsibility that you have to take. When we're going to answer this question, immediately, immediately, you're going to be led to, to an action. You cannot answer this question without going to action. If you say, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, God, I love you. You're going to come to a place where you will have to do something. And it makes Christianity different from any other religion. Because Christianity is the one that is not about knowing or having this experience, but actually about doing something. When we're going to answer the question, do you love me? We're going to be led to people, serving people, ministering to people. So it's not you know, esoteric or some, some knowledge that is above and we cannot really grasp it, but we're going to be led to an action. It's a responsibility. Christian life is a responsibility. And that's something we encourage at Moscow Central Assembly, is that when you come to church, when you are saved, when you're baptized and you became a part of the church, now it's time to do something. Christianity is not a tag that you have and you can now point to people that you're a Christian. It's not something, you, something that you brag about. Of course, we, we want to brag about Jesus Christ and God, but it's not, it's, not, it's not something we just carry with us and show to people whenever we want. That's an action. Christianity is doing something. And third lesson, it's all going to be possible if we look only in Christ and not people. We see Peter who was, who was looking at other people. Well, what about this disciple? What about that guy? Christianity starts when we look at Christ. When the only person that is worthy of our attention and our devotion is only Jesus Christ. 
We have to understand that people are going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. And we love when Jesus forgives us and we, we feel so great about it. But we have to forgive other people too because other people make mistakes. That's Russian logic. People are going to make mistakes. So when you look at Christ, you stop noticing these mistakes. Of course, we're going to notice them. But you're going to be able to forgive them and go forward. We have to look at Christ. Let's look on Christ. Christ has an unfinished conversation with you. Just like Peter had. And you may feel, feel not great about this. What God is going to tell me. What God has to say about what I did years ago. Maybe just yesterday. He has one unfinished conversation. One unfinished deal. This question sounds like this. Do you love me? Do you love me? I would ask you to close your eyes. This question is addressed to everyone. Do you love me? And you cannot answer this question without being honest. You cannot. And God is asking. And he's waiting for an honest response. And if you're a person who never got to ask or talk to God or never got to be questioned by God. I encourage you to, to come to him. If you've never been follower of Jesus Christ, you've never been, never been doing what God says in the Bible, going to church, being part of the community, I encourage you to do so. He's not going to question your past. He's going to ask you one simple question. Do you love me? Do you love me enough to for, just to move forward? If so, we would like to pray for you. There's going to be people at the crosses. And if you would like to go there at the end, there's going to be ministers and that, that will pray for you. But remember that Jesus wants to talk to you. He has unfinished conversation with you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the fellowship you initiated through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have stretched your arms in order to help us. Us who were bound by guilt, by embarrassment. And Lord, we, we thank you. And we ask you that you would bring us to the very beginning, to the basics. That you would bring us to the cross. That you would help us realize the importance of that first day when we found you. And we ask you that you would teach us how to take responsibility for others. Help us to love each other so that we could be a worthy reflection of your love. Help us to understand that no matter how much we're going to promise you something or try to do something, we still won't be able to prove our love to you. May we look only at you at your cross, not, not on others. And maybe, may we only be interested not in other people's lives, but in you, Lord. And if only we get interested in other lives so that we could help them and minister to them. We ask you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Ramon. Why don't you stand with me?
you're praying to just to have a, a new start with Jesus, we really want to walk with you in that whole process and want to connect with you. Pastor Jordan's available over here to talk to, or you can come contact the office. We, and we just want to walk with you on that. Um, I, we sent out an email earlier regarding a Thanksgiving last year. Last week we took up a, a Thanksgiving offering. If uh, you missed it, an email went out. And even now, if you still want to be a part of that, we are so grateful with what God is doing and we're looking to you as a community that if you want to just continue to help, support, and invest, maybe today before you leave, you write a check or go to our giving station and you can donate via um, uh, online giving or however it sets best for you. But make an investment uh, in the life of this community so we can continue to move forward and continue to impact people around us. And uh, that we have a relationship. That what you give, uh, it does more than just what's going on here. It actually affects to what's going on around the world. And so when we give of our time, when we give of our finances, when we give of our speech, we are impacting globally. And that's what we're trying to do as a church here in Winnipeg, is to make a global impact. So I challenge you, Soul Sanctuary, give in your community, give in your church, Give of your time, give of your effort, give of your finances, and let's see God bless. Somebody uh, pulled me aside on, on uh, Friday and said, hey, we haven't heard a follow-up of your 30-day your challenge when I spoke on tithing and things like that. And I said, no, I haven't really done it. He goes, well, how many people signed up? I said, well, we had a few people sign up. He goes, well, yeah, but the, I got to tell you something. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, like, I'm not into this prosperity stuff, but I started to increase my giving, and I have a story to share. And I just, I just sort of, kind of sat back, and I, I had to laugh. I thought, you got to be kidding me. Like, here's somebody just so excited about taking personal challenges in their faith, and in this case, specifically regarding finances. And I looked at them, and I said, look, I would like you to share your story. He goes, well, I don't want people to think I'm pretentious and I'm not into all this word face stuff, but God is working. And I said, well, how about if we block out your face and you distort your voice and you share your story? And he goes, yeah, that, well, that will work for me. So uh, we have a story coming, which is really interesting about God's faithfulness. And so I speak to you as your pastor, be faithful. Be faithful in the way you live your life at home, the way that you live your life at work and in your community. Be faithful in the way that you live your life in your church community, but be faithful with your finances as well. My challenge to you this day. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. Here's your blessing, soul sanctuary. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. May the love of God be reflected in your hands. May the wisdom of God be reflective in your words and may the knowledge of God listen carefully flow from your heart why so that all might see and in seeing believe go now be blessed and live the church we'll see you next week youth Sunday bring a friend it's going to be crazy